Train, eat, repeat. The knowledge and know-how you need to live well. Here's your host, Tyler Ferrand. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Train, Eat, Repeat. So excited to get into the episode. But before I do that, just a couple of announcements and things to cover. So first of all, thank you for everybody who has joined the 30 Days of Mindful Eating Challenge. We are in a fourth and final week of that Facebook challenge. You can still join. There's still plenty of material to go back through. Um, And again, I think the information is extremely valuable. And also, if you're interested in joining future challenges that we'll have planned out throughout the rest of this year, friend me on Facebook, get into the groups, um, and you can definitely learn some great material there. This week, I got the chance to sit down with Maureen Stockline. She is the current registered dietitian for the New York Mets. She is also a local full-time firefighter and EMT for the Canton Fire Department for the last 21 years and just overall a very knowledgeable individual. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Maureen. Hope you guys enjoy it and we'll talk to you next week. Well, hey there, Maureen. I uh, I appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. I came across your Facebook profile of all things. Um, and we just happened to know some of the same contacts and found it very interesting, uh, your background and just how busy you are. Um, so for those, those, those people out there that don't know who you are, give me a sort of an elevator speech of who you are and, and what you do. All right. So, um, first of all, thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, and, uh, let's see, my name is Maureen Stockline and I am a registered dietitian. Um, I've been a dietitian for over, gosh, over 25 years now. Um, and I'm also a full-time firefighter. So I am a firefighter paramedic in Canton Township, Michigan, and I've been doing that for, uh, 21 years now. Um, so I started out as a dietitian. I went to Madani University in Livonia. I uh, got my degree in nutrition and became a registered dietitian. Um, I, I did a little bit of clinical practice initially, uh, working in a hospital, and then um, I kind of changed gears. I got a little bit burnt out quick in my uh, profession early, and I think it was because I just wasn't in the right. Uh, the clinical nutrition part was not the right fit for me. Um, and that's when I decided to go back to school and become a firefighter. So I was always an athlete and missed being a part of a team, I think, um, in a team uh, with a little bit more physical job, I think was an attractive part of becoming a firefighter. So I went back to school, became a firefighter, and then um, also a paramedic and have worked in Canton Township since I did that. Um about five or six years ago, I kind of revisited uh, some of my own personal training goals, and I was always doing kind of endurance sports and just decided to change gears a little bit as I got older, primarily to maintain and gain more strength uh, for my uh, profession. I found as I got older, um, especially being a firefighter, that it was important for me to uh, make sure I keep up with, with the rest of the guys and girls in my department, especially the younger ones. So I started training at a place in uh, Plymouth, Michigan called Barwis Methods. And that's where I um, uh, kind of re uh, kind of gained my passion for sports nutrition and kind of resubmerged myself in that part of nutrition. And so at the time, Barwis did not have a dietitian on staff and I was able to uh, work with some of their clients um, as the dietitian at that facility. And then was also um, able to uh, become pretty well connected with uh, some different areas of sports nutrition. And um, when there happened to be an opening for the job uh, with the New York Mets as their team dietitian, 
dietitian. I applied for that job and um, now am heading into hopefully my fourth season with the Mets um, and still functioning as a full-time firefighter. So it's sort of an interesting uh, combination and dynamic. I work at the fire station every other day for three days. And then during baseball season, I travel between here in New York or here and wherever the Mets happen to be playing and um, function as their team dietitian too. But it's a really cool combination because uh, both are obviously very team-oriented professions um, and uh, very focused on nutrition, which has been really cool for me to be involved with both aspects of nutrition in the fire service and in professional sports. Well, and like I like I said, you're extremely busy, busy than than more than most. Um, it, in general, when you started going to school for uh, your dietetics, you know what was it about nutrition in general that got you excited? Well, I think uh, the the big attraction for me was that I saw a direct correlation between um, the way I uh, ate or fueled. I guess fueling is a more um, current term for for eating. Um, and my performance. And so I think initially I, I thought maybe about doing physical therapy or going into physical therapy and, you know, Manada did not have a physical therapy program, but they happen to have a nutrition program. Um, so I just kind of explored that option. Also, um, my family has always eaten very healthy. My dad had high cholesterol and hypertension. And so my mom always made all of our food from scratch and just, you know, we ate a lot of things that other people weren't eating that would probably be considered foreign to some of my friends at the time. Um, so she, had always kind of put a, a big emphasis on eating healthy. So that was always part, it was like part of my DNA growing up. Um, so I think that's where the, the initial interest came. And then, you know, once I was able to kind of see how it enhanced my performance just by, by eating healthier, um, that's kind of what, where, where my buy-in came. Unfortunately, when I graduated from college, sports nutrition was not a thing. It was quite a while ago because I'm, I'm 47. And so I feel like in the last maybe five to 10 years, it's become a really, you know, um, big, um, thing, uh, not only in college sports, but professional sports, high school sports. I mean, I feel like, uh, nutrition is really an emerging and continuously emerging and evolving, um, aspect of performance. Um, and at the time it just wasn't, which is why I kind of got funneled into clinical nutrition. And, you know, had I gotten into sports nutrition right away, maybe I wouldn't have, um, ever become a firefighter. I'm not too sure, but that's one thing that I really emphasize with my athlete or with anybody who has an interest in, in nutrition now is to just go after your passion immediately. Don't think you have to like pay your dues by working in a hospital or working in a nursing home or working in some area of nutrition that isn't where your passion falls because you can really, um, kind of get looped into spending a lot of time in something that isn't your passion. And maybe it'll deter you into something else. I'm not sure. I say, if you want to be a sports dietitian, reach out to every sports dietitian, you know, ask if you can volunteer with them, ask to do whatever kind of work you can do um, to kind of get yourself submerged in that part of nutrition. For sure. And how has the fact that you've been both on the clinical side, the general population, and now in the the sports specific population, you know, how has that changed sort of your uh, view on nutrition in general? Um, you know, I find that in the clinical realm, um, unfortunately, some RDs uh, go more towards the Western medicine type approach. Um, and there's a script and we follow it and that's what it is. And do you feel like you saw more of that in the clinical world and maybe something that made you want to go more towards that sports specific and, and trying to solve things by actually fixing the diet? 
Well, I think what was attractive to me with sports nutrition is that you see a direct correlation in athletes. If they embrace, you know, kind of some of the things that you're able to implement with them, they can have a very quick turnaround in their performance. So if someone goes from under fueling, let's say, or fueling with all the wrong foods with the goal of maybe gaining weight, um, thinking maybe like, oh, I can eat whatever I want because I'm just trying to gain weight. Um, you know, and there's, they're still not getting the results they want. Once they have some intervention with a sports dietitian or with someone who has, you know, a lot of knowledge and a lot of education in nutrition, um, they feel an almost instant kind of, they see a direct result, an instant result in their performance. Um, I think, um, in the clinical setting, maybe you don't see that quite as, you know, you're working with really sick people generally when they're in the hospital. Um, but it does give you a good foundation on, on some of the more clinical type things that you have to look for, even when you're working with a healthier population. Um, so I think that's kind of where my passion got reinstilled was like, I was feeding, for lack of a better word, feeding off of the energy of the athletes that I'm working with and helping because they get excited about embracing some of the change. And then I get excited that I'm actually helping someone. Um, And also, I think it's nice to not always have weight be an issue. You know, I think if you get into some aspects of just doing weight loss counseling or, you know, maybe even just specifically working with eating disorders, I think, you, you know, that's a really a needed profession right now. Um, I'm finding more so, especially with athletes, because you run into that. Um, but it's nice to work with people who actually need to eat and want to eat and want to eat the right foods um, instead of having to be so restrictive, you know? Well, and like you said, the, the direct correlation, not that you don't see a direct cor- correlation with people that have weight loss goals and you start to change their habits and they start to eat better. But that's that's where it leads to my next question. So obviously you're dealing mostly with elite athletes, especially when we talk about the job with the New York Mets and then the athletes that you're working with inside of that that CrossFit box. You know, what is the biggest difference between coaching somebody who is an elite athlete like a professional athlete and somebody who is, you know, wanting to be athletic and has their own goals? Um, I think probably the biggest difference is access to resources. Um, I think when you look at a professional athlete, they have access to resources that we all have, but either cost is an issue or, um, just kind of having exposure or knowledge to, to gaining some of those resources, but typically it's cost that's the issue. So a professional athlete has a a chef that cooks all their meals for them. They have a dietitian that's at their beck and crawl. They have massage therapists, physical therapists, you name it. Um, so nutrition education isn't always, um, you, you do a lot of nutrition education. However, um, that's for the ones that really take an interest in nutrition. Um, I think for the most part, um, everything is kind of planned out for them. So they walk in, let's say the baseball players, they walk into the clubhouse and they have their pregame meals all set out for them and they have their snacks all set out for them. So they have everything kind of done for them because of the nature of all the traveling they do and they don't have, you know, a house necessarily. They're living out of hotels. So all of that has to be done for them. Um, the other thing is their nutrition is so important, um, because they are living kind of on the road. So having that all set up for them sets them up for success in their sport. Um, 
for you and I, or for the other, a lot of the other athletes I work with, whether they're professional college, you name it, you have to teach them and educate them on how to set those resources up for themselves. So how to meal prep their own food, how to grocery shop for their own food, how to plan their day out accordingly, instead of having a one o'clock eating time and a three o'clock eating time and a post game recovery meal, you teach the, um, the client or, you know, the, the individual, the athlete, how to do all of that for themselves. Um, so that is where education is such an important part of what we do as healthcare uh, providers um, so that you're setting them up for success and they're able to do it on their own without you kind of following them around or chasing them with text messages all the time on what they should be doing at a specific time. In that light, do you see that there could be potentially a, a time and place where that elite, that elite athlete, let's talk about, you know, a, a major league baseball player, because he's had the ability to have somebody do all these things for him, that there's less of a chance that they actually end up learning it compared to some <laughs> of your other clients? I definitely think there's some. I mean, I'm fortunate. Most of the guys that I work with are really into nutrition. So they keep me on my toes with asking me, you know, a lot of really advanced questions. And I think social media media has put nutrition in a whole different light because now even if you just sign on to Facebook, you're inundated with all kinds of information. And so they'll come to me with things that they've seen maybe in their social media feed, maybe, I don't know, a Joe Rogan podcast that they listen to or, you know, any type of podcast that they listen to. I, I can almost follow the questions that are going to come at me based on the podcast that kind of go through my feed. <laughs> so I try and stay on top of that too, because they'll want to know, you know, about, I don't know, intermittent fasting, ketogenic diet, how could it help them with their performance? Because professional athletes definitely always want to know what they can do to give them kind of an instant edge over somebody else. Um, so some of what I do is debunking some of that. Some of it is, is validating some of it like, yeah, you should try that. Um, so I think social media has definitely added a whole different aspect to educating the players, but you know, there's also those that, that are so successful and maybe have never had to embrace nutrition because they have so much talent and they're young and they just haven't had to really submerge themselves in it quite yet. And they still have their favorite foods. And also baseball is very superstitious. So some foods are connected to, to, to how they manage their, their pregame or whatever it might be. Um, so can you, can you touch on that a little bit? What, like what kind of, uh, superstitious things have you seen? Yeah. So I think, I think especially pitchers, um, have that, or maybe if someone's on a hitting streak and they, let's just say ate a peanut butter and jelly before they got three hits in one game, I can guarantee they're going to eat a peanut butter and jelly every time until that hitting streak is maybe not quite as effective as it was. Um, maybe a pitcher is used to eating, I don't know, overnight oats, which happened to be a really uh, team favorite on ours. There's uh, which is fortunately a really good, healthy kind of pregame type food. Um, but maybe they have overnight oats and then they go out and they pitch a great game. Um, it, it's very, very food related. And that's something that I've had to learn as the team dietitian that you just don't mess with some of the superstitions when it comes to, to performance and things that they correlate. Um, it's very, it's an interesting dynamic, but that's, that's kind of how it works. Like if they pitch well and they had chicken tenders and fries, they're going to eat chicken tenders and fries for a long time until that pitching stretch maybe takes a hit. <laughs> okay. That's, that's interesting. I know that their baseball players are superstitious Very. Um, having played the game myself, but I don't think I ever got down to eating the same meal. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So what typically, obviously this is a very different season, um, with COVID and the shortened season. Uh, but what would a typical day or week look like for you if you were managing the team and, and with them, barring there's no COVID in our lives? 
Right. Oh yeah. So this year has been much different because I've worked hundred percent remote, but we have a full-time chef that travels with our team. So uh, the two of us work together to, to come up with uh, menus. Um, and then I um, also help to set guidelines for those menus. So um, when we're on the road, all of the food is catered in primarily. Um, so that means at least three meals and then probably some, you know, snack type foods. Each clubhouse has snacks available for the, for the players as well. Um, so a lot of it is just menu development. Um, and making sure that the foods that we're bringing in are all going to be foods that, you know, lean, po- lean proteins, complex carbs, lots of fruits and vegetables, minimizing sugar is kind of the, the goal. Um, and then just making sure we have plenty of recovery food on hand too. So the recovery meal is really important. And one thing that's interesting about that is a baseball game usually doesn't end until, gosh, 10, 11 o'clock at night. You know, and I think what a lot of non-professional athletes uh, might think is, oh my gosh, that's too late to eat. Um, even if you're done training at nine, 10 o'clock at night, a lot of what I hear is like, oh, I shouldn't be eating that late at night. Um, but when it comes to an athlete and when it comes to recovery meals, that's a really important meal regardless of the time. Um, and that's one that we put a lot of thought into to make sure they're getting plenty of uh, lean proteins to rebuild. Um, plenty of complex carbs and, um, you know, carbs to refuel plenty of hydration products. So it's water, it's electrolytes, um, to rehydrate and then plenty of vitamin vitamins and minerals through different fruits and vegetables to kind of get all those micronutrients on board too. Um, so that's one meal that's, that's really important for every athlete, but I think general population kind of gets caught up in like, ah, it's too late to eat. I shouldn't eat then. And that's quite the opposite. Even if you're training, in the evening, because that's what your schedule allows. That's a really important time for you to get a really good foundational recovery meal on board. Um, sure. And it's so, about putting everything in context, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You train when you can, because um, unlike professional athletes um, who have kind of their schedule dictated for them, we do. And, and, you know, eight or nine hours out of our day is, is a job. And so if it allows you to train in the evening, um, we still have to consider that as part of your fueling um, programming for the day, um, is that recovery meal. But the other thing I do as the dietitian for the team is I also, um, am responsible for, um, the supplements that are available to the players. So, um, with any professional athlete, especially it's real important that everything is NSF certified, meaning it's third party tested and gets that certification. Um, so that we know our supplements aren't regulated the same way our food is. So you never really know exactly what's in the supplements that you're taking and the quality of the supplement, but that certification allows us to know that what a company is saying is in a product is actually in a product, which is not the way with all supplements. Um, and certainly with professional athletes that are drug tested, that's really important because, you know, one little thing in there could could obviously cause a failed drug test, which would then come down on me because that would be my responsibility. So there, the the recommendations, the catering, the supplements, is it catered per athlete or is it more of a generalized catering for everybody and you're making adjustments on the fly based on if somebody has a, a particular need or want in terms of, you know, hey, I, I I'm a, more of a vegetarian, although I don't know if I know any vegetarian baseball players. You might. Um, but is it very specific to the individual in terms of dialing in their specific macros and they have their meal in front of them? Or is it more so I'm just generalizing, generally making sure that I cover all of my bases based on the athlete's need? 
So that, that's, that's a good point. So I work individually. So during spring training is really kind of where I'm able to get some, some time with the, with the guys and kind of work on their specific individual, um, I would say nutrition goals. Um, I'll be honest, we don't do macro plans with our guys at all. So it's more based on, um, we do, uh, body comp with them and obviously we keep track of their weight and then, um, how they're feeling. So I certainly do not have any guys on my team that are counting macros. It's more or less like you need to eat, you know, this for a pregame. You need to have these nutrients involved for your postgame recovery. You need to, before you get to the field, maybe having a breakfast that looks something like this would be on it. But none of those guys have, I can only speak for my team, have the interest or the time to kind of track macros. And especially because we make sure that everything that they're provided is going to fit into what foods serve them. I wouldn't say everything stuff does sneak in, but for the most part, I can feel assured that even from Michigan and my team is in New York, I know that the food that they're getting served is going to be lean proteins, complex carbs, lots of fruits and veggies, and any of the snacks that are in there are going to come off of a list that I've kind of comprised that have, you know, lower sugar options and, and some really good stuff. Um, you know, it's kind of like, I would like to describe our, our clubhouse as like walking into whole foods. You just, you don't have to worry so much about what you're picking. It's just, it's there and you know, it's going to be something that serves serving for you. But yeah, as far as counting macros goes, that's not something that we do at all. Um, which I but, find interesting because you know, the average population isn't ready to count macros, you know, oh, or, right. and, and want to learn it. They're just as busy as a professional athlete, Absolutely. if not more. And so like the clients I train, I hardly ever talk macros, calories, um, just because it's not something that is feasible for them. No, and it's overwhelming and it's, it's it becomes all embodying. I mean, it, it becomes a good portion of your day. And really, I feel like, Tyler, I think you're right on track. When you are teaching someone to eat properly, they shouldn't have to. It's just like kind of initially you might have to kind of give them some guidelines as far as how their plate should look. But then from there, they should be by educating them. You can teach them how to swap out proteins and swap out different carbs and their plate should still kind of conventionally kind of look the same. And that's what we really do with them too, is so much of your plate should be complex carbs and so much should be proteins and so much should be healthy fats, you know, same, same kind of thing. Um, but I think when I initially, um, took the job with the Mets, I thought, Oh my gosh, these guys are going to really be macro counters and I'll have my fitness pal loaded on and all oh, this is going to be so overwhelming. And it's not that way at all. And that's really kind of, it was refreshing because that is overwhelming for any human being, but for someone who's got to focus on just playing well, um, that could be way too much. And even, even the supplements, I mean, I don't overwhelm them with that either. I mean, we keep it simple, um, you know, as much as we can, even with supplements, because supplements can get out of control. Sure. Have the, if you have the a good foundation, you shouldn't even really, and you know this too, if you're foundationally eating well, supplements should only enhance what you're doing. They shouldn't absolutely not be a substitute for deficiencies in the way that you're eating. Absolutely. I mean, I've always told clients it's a safety net. It's yeah. to cover the bases that we not we are not getting through our diet. Um, and like you said, these guys are traveling a ton. They're on the road. Their eating patterns are going to be inconsistent. So it's just there to fill in those gaps. Yeah. Yep. What would you say is the most challenging part of the job? Um, Besides think- COVID-19. 
Yeah. <laughs> Besides <laughs> that, I think the most challenging is the grind of the season. Um, it's 162 day, two games typically and living on the road and living off of, I mean, it's like when you go on a vacation and it's cool to eat, to go out to eat for, you know, four or five days. Cause you don't normally do that. But after a while, it's like, I want a home cooked meal. I want some like normal food again. I want my own bed. I want, you know, some of these things that we are, are, you know, fortunate to have all the time that when you're playing 162 games on the road, that's not. So I think it's keeping things interesting. It's keeping things close to kind of how it would be at home, especially when we're in our home clubhouse and, you know, our chef does such a nice job of preparing really, you know, great kind of home cooked meals. And she takes a lot of input from the players as to their favorite foods and tries to accommodate a lot of that. Um, so I think that's, that's the challenging part is keeping it interesting and then, um, keeping the guys engaged, um, with the right foods rather than just saying, oh, screw it. I'm going to have, you know, donuts and all these sweets and treats that are kind of trendy in each city that we go to, um, and keeping them mindful of that too. Now, do you work in some of those habits in terms of like, you said, obviously, it's not very strict, right? We're not counting macros. And so is it something where it's like, yeah, you can go out and you can have some of this and some of that? Or is it something that you don't even really have to say? It's just sort of built in to the program. Yeah, I would say we we follow an 80-20 um, rule. So 80% of the time we have great food and the right food choices around so that 20% of the time they can still um, you know, enjoy the foods that they enjoy. And we, we certainly program that some of that in, um, you know, occasionally they have an off day. Um, and so we might program in pizza when they're not going to have something the next day, although it also filters in here and there. Cause these guys, I mean, they, they're not in prison. They bring their own food in too. So we see a lot of things kind of float in. Um, but I think, you know, if they're educated, which we do provide that foundational education as to why this is not a great thing to have every day, um, then it allows for that 80, 20. And I really think that's the way, you know, all of us should be is 80% of the time make great food choices. So 20% of the time you can still enjoy the foods that maybe don't fit into your programming. Well, and that's just good for emotional health, period. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) What's the most exciting part? I mean, other than the fact that you're working with a major league baseball team, most people would be envious of that. But what's the most exciting part for you? Uh, I think it's the same thing that I would say with working with any of them is when, when the players see a direct correlation, whether it's with their weight, cause you know, a lot of them are very weight conscious too. And we do try and keep them within certain ranges, um, you know, for their performance. And sometimes that's not always based. Like sometimes guys need extra weight on just because they're hitters or, you know, they're, um, you know, certain positions require different weight kind of requirements. Um, so I think that um, the rewarding part is just seeing their enthusiasm when when they feel good and when they're um, performing effectively. And I and I feel like, especially if they've worked with me personally, I feel like, gosh, that some of it is related to. I know personally, a lot of it is related to their nutrition, but when they're starting to feel that it's really rewarding. I think another thing is when you have a player who does have a challenge, let's say some sort of eating challenge, maybe a food allergy, or maybe, um, you know, game changers did bring a lot of, of light to plant-based diets. And so, um, coming into spring training off of, um, a summer of, uh, game changers type, uh, podcasts, 
the the actual um, Netflix video, mm-hmm. I did have a lot of interest in that. And so I was able to program some of those concepts in and also let them know that they don't have to be 100% plant-based to be a successful athlete and sort of debunking some of that. So um, I think that's where I get the most reward is when I get you know feedback from them that, man, this feels really good. I feel really good. Or their incidents of injuries go down, whatever it might be. Well, it's just so interesting, like you said earlier, how much you have to combat, not so much the bad information, but but again, it's everything in context, right? Yeah. Documentary like Game Changers is going to highlight, obviously, the point that they want to make. Mm-hmm. And somebody that isn't well-versed in the nutritional world like yourself, um, you know, they would look at it and say, well, then that's the way I have to do things. Yes. Yep. And, you know, another really, I think one of my favorite parts of being um, a dietitian with the Mets is my, um, uh, it's just exposed me to working with other professional uh, dietitians that work in professional sport. And so it's just been such a cool networking to be able to, you know, reach out to the dietitian for the Atlanta Braves and bounce ideas off of her. Um, or we have, um, kind of collective chat groups and stuff where we'll run things by each other. Um, and then just connecting over social media too with these other, and I try and share some of their information that they post. It's just being, having access to that. And I think everybody does now through social media, but it's just a really cool network that we have. And we get together at, um, baseball winter meeting. So all the MLB dietitians get together and just to kind of have that commonality has been really, really cool. And even here locally, like I've been able to connect with the Red Wings dietitian and she's, she's awesome. And I'm able to, you know, talk with her and kind of get her feel on what she's doing and see the stuff that she's doing. Um, so I think that networking has been really, um, one of my favorite parts of it too. Have you noticed networking with these other dietitians across other sports uh, arenas that pretty much it's coached near the same way? Obviously, everybody's going to have their own systems. But, you know, you sort of mentioned like we're not doing macros. It's an 80-20 rule. You know, we're really listening to the players in terms of what they like versus what they don't like versus what their goals are. Do you feel like that's the landscape right now, that there's more of that that coaching element or that listening element to professional sports dietitian coaching? I think there's a lot of, of nutrition educating that's going on. And I think each sport is very specific. And I think some of that is related to like, you know, hockey players have, have really got to be dialed in. I mean, their sport is so directly correlated to their fueling, um, because it's such an anaerobic sport. Um, so I think that they, they do program things a little bit differently. And I think a lot of it just has to do with the culture of, of the tradition of that specific, like for me, clubhouse. Um, so change is, is slower or faster depending on how things were when I arrived. Um, and I think it's similar with other, with other professional sports to kind of the culture of that specific team. Um, but I do feel like some sports are, are a little bit more dialed in maybe um, than not necessarily baseball, but other sports. Um, and I, I can speak of hockey just because I've listened to some of the podcasts and I've, I've spoke with Lisa too. Um, and I've also seen, cause some of her athletes train, um, where I train and I've seen how they, how hard they work and how just dialed in they are with their nutrition. And I just think it's a huge tribute to her. Cause I know she's done a ton of educating to get those players to do that. And they do have, they have 
um, access to the same resources that that my ball players have, and um, it's just really cool to kind of watch because you can tell she's had a lot of that educating. Now, I can say in baseball, a lot of the nutrition education comes during the minor league, so most players have a stent in the minor league. We have an awesome minor league dietitian that is really good at educating. So she runs a lot of nutrition education um, classes. Um, she's a constant present there. She's full-time. So she's always kind of around the players. She makes visits to the specific um, affiliates um, and she's constantly kind of a presence there, which is really great because then once they come up to the major leagues, they've got this great foundation already that she's implemented. So I feel like in baseball, a lot of that nutrition education comes during the, their stint in the minor league system. And then by the time they come up, they've got some of that foundation, which is really nice. And then you can deal with all the social media inquiries. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and <laughs> on that note, you know, Forks Over Knives is another documentary that that stuck out. Obviously, it's a little bit dated now. Mm-hmm. But you being a full-time firefighter um, for 21 years, you know, the one thing that was highlighted in there was the health of firefighters mm-hmm. and how, you know, and this was in Game Changers too, how directly uh, related diseases to diet. And especially in a profession that is very physically demanding, uh, emotionally demanding, um, sleep depriving, you know, do you have an influence in your own firehouse and with the other firehouses in the community around nutrition? Um, yeah, so that's another really great, um, great point that you've made. So the fire service needs more nutrition. And so I've also been trying to network with other dietitians that work in the fire service. And there's very, very few, um, So locally here in Michigan, I've fortunately been able to link in with the local police and fire academy. And so now I'm doing nutrition education. The police academy offers um, eight weeks of nutrition education or health and wellness education that I teach. So they actually get like at least eight hours of that during their time in their academy, which is very unusual for any other academy, even nationwide that I know of that offers that. Um, It's so important in those two professions, especially to have the foundation starting your career, because typically um, if you across the board, if you look at firefighters, they start their career in really great shape. And then it kind of goes by the wayside a little bit as their career progresses. So it's been my goal to provide that foundational nutrition education to them so that it's something that they can carry through their entire career, which is typically 25 to 30 years. And they're going to be able to retire in better shape than maybe they were when they started, if they can just embrace really just nutrition foundations. Um, so I've been really trying to make a, a point of getting out to as many local departments as I can to kind of spread that message of just basic nutrition foundational things. Um, and then also more kind of on a more um, uh, bigger bigger picture, I've networked with other dietitians that are, are kind of doing the same thing. And there's one that is out of Boston and she's in charge of like 3,000 firefighters in the Boston area. And she runs a, an, an amazing program uh, for them that incorporates both um, nutrition and fitness. And she makes the rounds and does cooking demos and does nutrition education with them um, at all the stations. And it's just a really cool program. Um, So I do think there's a lot of room, especially for dietitians um, to capture that audience. And I think there's a need for it. So that's another area I try and 
get dietitians to be involved in because the concepts are the same. These are athletes. They, they should be fueling the same way an athlete fuels. The difference being is a firefighter or a police officer doesn't know what time their event is. A baseball player, a hockey player, football player knows they're going to play at one o'clock, five o'clock, seven o'clock, whatever it is. And they spend their whole day prepping for that event. Firefighter can come on shift and have their event at 8 a.m. And if they're dehydrated because they haven't had a lick of water and they haven't had breakfast yet because they were going to eat it at nine o'clock during their break and they haven't you know, slept well, their performance for that fire, which could be a one-hour event, a three-hour event, four-hour event, all-day event, is going to be compromised based on how they arrived. So um, they had just a different different group of problems that can occur if they don't embrace kind of the same concepts that we preach for athletes, which is getting good sleep, hydrating, and fueling properly. So almost in some respects, they have to be more ready than your athletes do. They do, especially when it comes to hydration, because, you know, firefighters with equipment on or police officers with equipment on, depending on the temperature, you can get dehydrated five times faster uh, because they don't have that evaporation of sweat happening uh, because it's all being held inside. So they can run into some serious health issues. You know, your blood gets thick and then it's not flowing properly to your heart, your brain. And then the next thing you know, you're having an event right after the fire because your body just can't handle it. Is that where your interest in studying hydration came from? <laughs> kind of, yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just did a, a spiel for that on um, hydration, and now I feel like I'm on a mission to cure everyone's dehydration problems. But so many things get tossed to the wayside health-wise that could be cured by hydrating. I feel like, you know, whether it's you're tired, whether it's you're, you know, you're just feeling sluggish and we go to caffeine, but really we're dehydrated. So, yeah, I'm going to, I know. Anybody that crossed my path now is really going to get a hydration lecture. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me more about your recent trip to D.C. and the presentation you gave on hydration? Yeah, yeah so I had an opportunity to speak in D.C. At, uh, to the Department of Defense Human uh, Performance Symposium, and I spoke on hydration. And I also spoke on, um, on uh, using... ORS, which is an oral rehydration solution like Drip Drop, um, which is a product that you can use to rehydrate. Um, and it's just an electrolyte product that also has a little bit of sugar in it. Um, a lot of electrolyte products have a ton of sugar in them, which isn't always necessary. This one just has a little bit. It's a product that we actually use with the, with the METS too because it's NSF certified. And it's been really effective at trying to really combat or control any issues that might come along with dehydration. So being out in the heat too long, wearing catcher's equipment. So a lot of our guys have really enjoyed using that product just because it's it's helped to prevent any of the dehydration, di dehydration issues that they might get. And is this on the market currently? Can you just go out it and sure buy it? It sure is. It is. You can get it at Walgreen, actually. Um, but you can also order it off Amazon. You know, I'm giving them a little plug right now, but um, <laughs> the reason I'm doing it is because I do feel like it's a it's a great product, and it does it has helped a lot of the athletes that I've worked with, and I, I like it myself um, uh, because it doesn't have a ton of sugar in it. Okay, you talked about your background as an athlete and how you sort of switched gears over the last few years, focusing a little bit more on strength. You know, how does your, what's your journey of nutrition been? I mean, I can tell you're a product of the product, but how has your nutrition changed along with your training, if at all? Um, I, I would say that, um, for me, I think it's been, I, I was an endurance athlete, uh, up until about five years ago, I, uh, did a lot of marathons and, 
Iron Man, and I've uh, you know really was involved in a lot of running, primarily swimming, biking, that kind of stuff. And so I was a, a really carbohydrate based athlete, which was right for the time because those those uh, activities require uh, a huge draw in carbs. Um, I never really thought anything about protein, and so I think the big shift for me has been. Um, making sure, and plus I am plant-based. I do eat fish and eggs. However, um, I don't eat, uh, meat per se. So making sure I was getting enough protein to kind of keep up with my strength training. And then on top of that, I still do running or yoga or whatever it might be. Um, so I think the big shift for me has been focusing more on making sure I'm getting adequate protein to maintain muscle mass. And especially as a woman, and as you get older, it becomes a little bit more of a challenge, um, so I would say that's been my shift, but I've also, I would also say that's been helpful with me and working with other athletes because I've also been more mindful of that. I think when you yourself train as an endurance athlete, you kind of get in that mindset of this is how everybody should feel. And that's not at all true. It's got to be specific to what the activities that you're doing and to also kind of your goals with maintaining muscle mass or gaining muscle mass. Um, and then the other shift for me has really been, um, avoiding, uh, added added sugars as much as possible just because for inflammation and, uh, you know, for joint health, I feel like avoiding anything that causes that unwanted kind of chronic inflammatory response is important. Um, so just really focusing on more whole foods, avoiding processed kind of sweets and treats and relying more on fruits for the sweetness of things or, you know, making things homemade rather than relying on buying things that are already made for you. Um, but I know that that's a challenge for people too. So just embracing that myself has been helpful because now I have more resources to kind of guide my clients into. Well, and really it, it correlates pretty directly to how you coach some of your baseball players, how you coach the regular population, how you're coaching anyone in the uh, you know first responder world. It's keeping things as simple as possible. And usually simple means you're eating whole foods, right? Oh, it does. It does. When you can, when you can break it down and the message that I deliver is first of all, as we know, hydration, <laughs> that's number one. And then number two is eating more fruits and vegetables. So I break that down, um, regardless of the population I'm talking to. So whether it's senior citizens or whether it's pro athletes, we all need to eat more fruits and vegetables. And so breaking that down for them and why, and then going a little bit into like, why do we need, need the macros? What, what does protein do? What do complex carbs do? What do healthy fats do? Um, so I talk about that. And then the last thing is just reducing processed food or trying to reduce it as much as you can and, and relying more on eating whole foods and eating foods in their most natural form as much as possible. Um, and then how to do it easily. I think the misconception is that eating healthy is expensive and it's um, really hard to do. And it really doesn't have to be expensive. And it can be really simple to do because if you're eating simple foods, it requires very minimal preparation too, um, if you're taught the right way. So I just try and make it just like I'm sure you do make it as easy as possible because then you're going to compliance is going to go way up. <laughs> and, sure. Uh, and then just to show them that you don't need personal chefs in order to eat healthy. Exactly. Exactly. And if you do, I mean, there are resources and I know people do have the resources that maybe don't want to be bothered with grocery shopping. So helping them find a food prep company that does exactly that. And so there are those resources around that we can help people point them in the right direction of a good food prep instead of relying on restaurant food or relying on, you know, frozen food, whatever it might be. Excellent. 
Well, what's uh, what's next for you? Do you have any passion projects or career goals on the horizon? You know, I think my uh, I think I should know, right? Instead of thinking, I think my biggest passion right now is just I think that this pandemic has really set people in a tailspin nutritionally. At least that's what I found through working with some of my clients. Um, especially, I've found um, female athletes. Um, because since I have been working remotely, it's allowed me a little bit of time to kind of reconnect with some of the more local athletes, which has been awesome. And so I feel like because I am a female athlete or was, um, I just feel like this group needs some help right now because they have lost control of their schedule. They've lost control of being able to be around their friends and their school and their workout routine. And a lot of them are just really high functioning young girls that are now struggling with not having their, you know, athletic routine that they usually have and not being around their friends. And so it's really kind of compromised their fueling and how they were kind of fueling themselves. And it's, I think it's led to a big problem with under fueling. And so I've really been trying to make, um, or be a presence with that community and educate them on how important fueling and getting the right amount of food into their system is to prevent First of all, losing a menstrual cycle. Second of all, injuries, um, their bone health, their mental health, their stomach health, all of it is just so connected. And um, so I feel like this is sort of a little bit of a new lead for me, but I really enjoy working with that population. And then if I do you know, sense that they have an eating disorder, I have access to the right resources for them. That's not my wheelhouse, but I can certainly point them in the right direction. And I have great friends that do specialize in that. So I'm able to get them the help that they need. But I think a lot of it is just, they're just not educated. They just don't know like how they should be eating and when they should be eating. And they need pat. They need structure and routine again in their life. Well, and like you said, COVID nineteen has completely trashed any habits people had built uh, in because they had to pivot. Um, and I've seen it personally with, with clients myself. And you know, I think it also challenges us as coaches because we have to become more empathetic. We have to we have to understand what is going on in their world. And mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong, it's affected me as well. I mean, changed where I work out and, you know, I'm home more often. Uh, so it, it definitely throws everybody for a tailspin. But I think it it's it's challenging, but it's also fun, like you said. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and especially when it comes to fitness routines too, like you said, with gyms being you know, rerouted or people don't want to wear a mask when they're in the gym all the time. So they have home workout equipment now, or they're doing just other things. And then I think another thing we're going to brush up against here, especially you as a more of a health coach where you're doing everything, um, is it's been nice to be able to get out and run and, and do so many things outside. Well, the weather is obviously going to take a drastic change here. So where are these people going to get that outlet now? How are you mm-hmm. going to transition them into an indoor <laughs> workout or change things up for them so that they can still get that outlet that's been keeping them kind of on their their higher level of sanity without being able to be outside because it's going to be snowing or whatever it's going to do you know for sure and uh we'll be there to face that challenge that's right (laughs) (laughs) excellent anything else for uh the listeners no, I just think one of the, the best things that you can do is if you're, if you've got a fitness goal, I think it's important to find the right coach. And so a health coach, a dietitian, personal trainer, whatever it is, someone that can help provide, first of all, the education that you need to make you 
or to continue you on a successful path, uh, but also to be a resource for you for when you have questions, because it is so easy to kind of follow the path of a friend that maybe has had some success with one way, but it's not necessarily the right way for you. So I think it's important to surround yourself with just these really great resources so that you can get yourself on the right path rather than just doing what everybody else is doing or what your social media might be telling you to do and to have someone who can answer those questions for you and get get good, solid information. Thanks for listening to Train, Eat, Repeat. Connect with us on Instagram at fit underscore ferrant or at traineatrepeat.co. Until next time, stay strong, stay healthy.